Croeso Mawr, a big welcome to the Leanne Wood podcast. On this episode, my guest is Dylan, not his real name, from Cannabis Industries Wales. I've known Dylan for a number of years and we've worked together on issues around drugs reform in relation to cannabis and on wider economic development questions. As well as campaigning for cannabis to be easily available to people who can benefit from it medicinally, Dylan is also working more widely on the benefits of hemp as a product that can help Wales with our green economic development. Diolch, thank you for joining me on the podcast, Dylan. Can I first ask you, what are the aims of Cannabis Industries Wales? What exactly are you trying to achieve? The aims of it really, it's uh, an informal organisation and a way for us to bring people together who are interested in seeing progress being made in Wales in this policy area. So it's a it's a means by which we can bring clinicians, professions, industry, policy wonks, I think they're often described as, and politicians, and people who are directly affected by the existing arrangements and, and the problems that presents to them. So it's a way of bringing a variety of stakeholders together to be able to further the conversation, recognising that there's no one set of stakeholders in that mix who can really affect change. What does change look like? What are you trying to do here? Fundamentally, I mean, outside of cannabis is to seek to see a repeal of the Misuse of Drugs Act which has you know, been responsible for the deaths and incarceration of hundreds of thousands of people over its 50-year inception. And it's the construct of that act which has led us to where we currently are today in this really bizarre situation where the UK government claim that medicinal cannabis has been made available. But in reality, I think only two NHS prescriptions have been issued for children with intractable epilepsy and everybody else has to fork out to obtain cannabis medicines through a private prescription via private clinics. Well, many of the conditions for which cannabis is used are long-term health conditions. And it's really important for people to hear that cannabis is not a cure. It doesn't cure all. It has therapeutic value. And if you have a long-term medical condition, which is benefited by cannabis, for example, MS, then you have to use cannabis every day routinely in order to gain relief from that condition. And if your only avenue is through private prescription and private clinic, that probably still forces an awful lot of people back onto the black market. We've got Satavex in Wales, haven't we? So why isn't that enough? Wales is actually remarkably progressive when it comes to its views on cannabis as a medicine and for other uses. Satavex is a preparation, is a whole plant extract. It's a mix of THC and CBD, two of the principal active compounds in cannabis. It's not as effective as what people describe as raw cannabis, because effectively it's been watered down. It's been made into a proprietary mix, uh, a ratio of one-to-one THC and CBD. It's prescribed in Wales for multiple sclerosis, and as well, I believe it's allowed to be prescribed for things like sickness with chemotherapy. One of the challenges with that is that actually a lot of MS sufferers find that it only gives relief for a short period of time. They actually need uh, access to a medicine with a higher proportion or, or a different ratio of those cannabinoids. So they may need a higher THC component to their medicine than Sativex is able to offer them. Cannabis has been legalized in many countries now. Isn't it just a matter of time before it's legalized here? And are there examples elsewhere in the world where they've got the policies right on this? There's loads of countries where they've got the policy better than the UK. I'm far more pessimistic 
about it being a matter of time. I think the UK will be embarrassed into it by being one of the last standing Western democracies to not make cannabis available to adults who wish to use it for purposes other than treating a condition. We've proved that by the fact that we we don't let kids who suffer severe brain injuries on a daily basis, multiple times a day, we don't offer them access to a medicine that could prevent that. It just seems sick to me. So, So I think what we're seeing across the world now is an experiment in public policy. And we're seeing different countries try to wrestle with how they step back from having told their citizens for 50 years or more that cannabis is this deadly, this deadly psychotic inducing drug that if we can possibly let the population have unfettered access to it, because we'd end up in, in, in hell or we'd create this, this social nightmare. And look what's happened where countries have taken that step. None of that has happened. I think places like Uruguay have got really good, sensible legislation. So in Uruguay, the government have controlled the, the overarching supply model in terms of the retail. So you can buy cannabis in Uruguay over the counter. You are limited in what you can buy by strength and range. However, what they've sensibly recognised is you can't outlaw elements of it. Cannabis is either legal and available or it isn't. And if it isn't, like in Canada, you're going to drive the black market. You're going to create a, a niche for the black market to operate in. What Uruguay did, and, and something that we really would get behind, is they've enabled access to other forms of cannabis, higher strength um, preparations and oils through cannabis social clubs. And so in Uruguay, it's perfectly legal to grow your own cannabis. Not everybody is able to or wants to, but you, in Uruguay you can. So if you have a, a specific preference, you're able to grow that type of cultivar. You can access a milder form, if you like, through, I think they're in like pharmacy type vendors, or you can join a cannabis social club and access a more diverse range of, of medicines. And what that does then, it makes sure that the black market can't really feature anywhere because the black market has got no interest in producing lower strength herbal cannabis. So the government has filled that space. Social clubs have met the need for more esoteric preparations and more niche sort of offering, and they have a medical access channel for everything else. So Uruguay has got a really sensible view on it. I think a lot of US states are getting there in terms of a sensible model. Canada, I think, has made some real big mistakes. What you've got in Canada is a very strong black market still, which is undermining the, the legal channels. Really interesting to see, Leanne, that Canada have created more offences for cannabis now than they had under prohibition. So, so, so there's a real balance to be struck when you're trying to legislate for something like this, that you don't over-legislate. You end up creating more offences than you had when it was illegal. You haven't really solved the problem and you've probably given your, your enforcement organisations more of a headache. Yes, and surely part of the idea of legalisation or reducing restrictions is, is to free up those resources on crime enforcement. I'm concerned as well about the dangers of multinational corporations taking control and taking all the profits. What could we do to ensure that those mistakes are not made if we were able to develop such an industry in Wales? So you, you know my views on, on this in Wales. Really, we've got to we've got to view the development of policy in this area as a social justice issue first and foremost so we've got to put right what we've done to people we've got to address the fact that people of color have been unfairly targeted from drug policy in the uk we've got to correct that so we've got to expunge convictions we've got to enable people who have had a conviction under prohibition to be able to operate in a legal environment so 
most of the expertise and the know-how on producing high-quality, safe medicines is sitting in the criminal underworld, for want of a better word. So there are many people within the cannabis scene in the UK who are classified as criminals. They're anything but. But they have they understand how to grow and, and produce good quality medicine. And what we're seeing with some of these larger private clinic operators now, actually, there's an awful lot of product recall notices going out. So if you let accountants grow cannabis, you probably won't get as high a quality product as if you let somebody who understands the, the, the plant, if you enable them to be able to grow it. And so the model that we should be working towards putting in place should be a community-based model, a cooperative model, where either the product is produced at cost, so you have a a not-for-profit model produced by organisations, by community collectives, or you have a a fully commercial model, but you don't restrict the number of operators that you have. You treat it like alcohol. So I could set up a microbrewery tomorrow, and with a couple of forms to the local council, I could start brewing my own beer and branding it and selling it and all the rest. And as long as I met certain criteria, I'd have no problem doing that. In Canada, what they did, I think maybe to manage public reaction. In Canada, the government is the monopoly distributor. So in Canada, licensed producers are capped. So the government buys all the cannabis at a fixed price, if you like. It only benefits the very, very large scale producers because only when you're producing, you know, thousands of tons a year or or at scale, do you really get a, a profit. If the government has capped the price at which you're allowed to sell wholesale cannabis for, that immediately puts the small boutique producer at a disadvantage. So I think we should take an approach which gives it parity with alcohol at the very least and which which doesn't prevent the small individual cottage industry from flourishing. And there's something in there for me about potentially helping the NHS produce its own medicine. We have lots of land in Wales. We have a growing demand for occupational therapy and for rehabilitation to help people recover from injury or, or illness. And actually gardening is quite a good way to be active. So why can't we have an environment where patients are taught how to grow and produce for themselves as part of their recovery and, and sort of establishing physical activity again? I think there's lots of innovative models we we could and should look at, which aren't the apply for a government approved license. That's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of pounds. Only large companies can even afford to, to go through that even in the UK at the moment. So you can apply to the Home Office for a license, but if you haven't got a million quid sitting in the bank, you're not going to get very far. I love that vision. I think that could really, really work for Wales. But where do you think public opinion is on this question now? After five decades of the war on drugs and the misinformation and the propaganda that has come with that, are people's fears about drugs still driving the political agenda, do you think? My sense is that the politicians have lost the argument. It's it's odd, isn't it? We're told that drugs are illegal because they're dangerous. But we know that the two drugs which cause the greatest burden of disease in the population are alcohol and tobacco, and they're not illegal. And we've got to get away from that framing up of the argument. You know, we've got to keep drugs illegal because it would be a free-for-all. Well, the free-for-all is happening out there right now. My kids can go out onto the street today and they can come back with anything they want. It's all there. There's no ID required. There's no quality check. The only ID they need is a tenner, and they'll have a bag of whatever is going at time. So we've got to start to reframe that discourse because I think that the narrative 
conservative is still owned by the political classes. They are therefore controlling the conversation that happens. Whereas if the public took more control of the conversation and the discourse, that might be the biggest way to, to move policy along. I think that the public's understanding is still very, very poor. So it's not properly understood because the correct messaging is not able to get out there. So when you've got the UK government still in the Misuse of Drugs Act says, you know, cannabis is scheduled one drug because it has still has under that act no medicinal value and in direct contradiction to that act the UK government is saying but we've made medicinal cannabis available it confuses the public the public think there's a difference between street cannabis and medicinal cannabis it's the same cannabis there's no difference it's not a different thing it's exactly the same thing the only difference is one is grown with a license and a home office approval and the other one isn't. And the ones which aren't, it just means there's no quality control. So we don't have the ability to test product and to assure patients of, of what's in what they're buying illegally at the moment. So I think if you ask most members of the public, they would all agree that, you know, why don't we just regulate it, collect the tax and make it safe? I think you're probably right that the public is ahead of the politicians on this. Well, I think the Sun put a, did a poll, didn't they? And I think 68% of Sun readers... You know, when 68% of the Sun readership say it's time to reform, then that the political argument is lost. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I want to move on to talk about hemp, because it's an incredible plant, and obviously cannabis is linked to hemp. But hemp is a product that we have made much more use of in the past. Why did we stop using hemp? Uh, I think that oh, that you could you could go into all sorts of conspiracy territory there. <laughs> Please avoid that. <laughs> uh, Cardiff became the biggest coal port in the world off the back of hemp. I mean that that coal went round the world on hemp sales. It was anchored with hemp rope. It, you know, hemp was intrinsic to to the development of Cardiff as a major port. Hemp makes things like paper production and clothing production much cheaper, much more efficient. But if you start making things cheaper, you eat into profits of big multinationals. And I'm not a big fan of conspiracy theories, but I think there's been a bit of industrial lobbying because historically lots of the big newspaper owners in, in America in particular also own vast swathes of forestry which they used to pulp to make paper for this. So they had the original vertically integrated supply chain, if you like. So they own the trees, they own the logging firm, they own the paper mills, they own the printing presses. They controlled the whole thing. And when hemp comes along and says, hey, you know, we can make this much cheaper for you, it's not commercially of any interest for them. I think it's also suffered, it suffered from a bit of fashion, if you like. So it became unfashionable. Other more... Uh, cheaper products became available, Leanne, I think. It, it's become quite cheap to mass-produce plastic and paper and fibres for clothing by other means. Isn't hemp much more sustainable? Much more sustainable. Much more sustainable. I mean, you know, the, the amount of water that it takes to produce a, an acre of cotton is about 100 times the amount it would take to produce the same quantity of hemp. Every single part of the plant has a use. We got a big challenge around plastics clogging everything up. Hemp-based plastics can be made without the need to go extracting oil from the earth. They biodegrade at a much faster rate than oil-based plastic. 
or petroleum-based plastic. We can make hempcrete for building. We know that it has massive abilities to absorb CO2. You know, we could eulogize about the benefits of hemp all day long. We've lost the connection with the importance of that plant. And we probably just gradually slept, walked into a situation where farmers just don't produce it anymore now. But it could be not just a benefit to the Welsh economy, but it could also be a huge benefit in terms of climate change as well. Why are we not doing this? Yeah, why? Yeah, because because it's tangled up in the fog, I guess, the, the, the mystique that's being created around the dangers of cannabis. So it's, it's virtually impossible to get licenses even to grow hemp. It's very difficult in the UK at the moment. One of the main profitable outputs from hemp is CBD oil. So hemp is rich in CBD and farmers should be able to collect those flower and heads every September and produce CBD as a source. Um, There's all sorts of hoops that people have to now jump through in order to be able to produce what is a perfectly safe product that's impossible to overdose from. But we've created a situation where hemp farmers are literally leaving it rot in the fields, the, the handful that we have got in the UK. So I think trying to bring industry, the fashion industry has got a big role to play. You know, Wales has got a long history in textile manufacturing. Why can't we grow hemp locally, process it locally, produce thread from that hemp and then have properly sustainable fashion industry in Wales? We've lost it because the population is addicted to cheap fashion and instant fashion and three pound t-shirts they can buy online you're not going to produce a hemp t-shirt for three quid you could maybe produce one for 13 quid and you'd wear that for a lot longer and many more years than you would the three pound item so i think i don't know how you bring that back uh, but i think there's there's a, a, a pressing need to better engage with farming unions with rural departments in government and focus that conversation not about cannabis but about the industry of hemp and the production of hemp for industrial purposes. And those purposes range from building materials to plastics to paper and fibres and ultimately medicine. Do you think the devolution of drugs policy and the devolution of the criminal justice system more widely would give us a better chance of having a more sensible and workable law, not just for cannabis, but also for hemp production. Absolutely. If Wales had control over its criminal justice affairs, I think we would be living in a much safer, happier country. We certainly wouldn't be watching our children die of heroin overdoses in prison. You know, we certainly wouldn't be watching our kids becoming addicted to spice and all sorts of other things, which are now here as a direct result of prohibition. They're not here because the criminal underclass has decided to do this. They're here because of prohibition. And so I think if if we had control of our criminal justice system, I would like to think that we would realise that locking people up just because they've chosen to use a substance that, you know, I I can't, I'd never be able to square that. How how can you criminalise somebody for choosing to alter their state of mind or the way they feel? The premises, the basis on which those arrests are made are wrong. So I would like to think that if Wales had direct control over that, it could set an evidence-based policy. It'd be lovely if after hearing for the last two years, guided by the evidence, you know, the experts, we follow the evidence. We've Oh, no, not that evidence. <laughs> we won't follow the evidence about drug policy. It would be refreshing to, to see an administration take an evidence-based approach. And we, we'd have a radically different country, I think, as a result. That would be a brilliant development. And that is something that people can concretely campaign for. If people want to 
campaign for a change in the law, aside from campaigning for the devolution of the criminal justice system, what can they do? It's very difficult. I've been on all sides of this, from the marching down the road holding banners to sitting in front of my MP to speaking to AMs like yourself and just trying to do whatever I can as an individual to progress the cause. I think we're not going to get change by organising protests and marches. Yeah, they're great for raising awareness, but they've happened every year for the last 50 years and they haven't moved the conversation on. I think there's two things we need to do. People need to engage with their local politicians, so they need to be able to, you know, if they want to get involved in in this endeavour, they need to be prepared to go and talk to their local councillors. They need to be able to sit in front of their MP. They need to ask their MP to represent their views in, in Parliament. They need to ask their MP to ask questions on their behalf. My MP is quite reticent to do that, but it doesn't stop me making a nuisance of myself in a <laughs> in a polite way. And, and I do feel like whilst he doesn't agree, he does at least listen. So we'll only change minds if we have meaningful conversations with people. The other thing is if there are people listening to this who are business-minded people who think there's an opportunity in here, we need to help them have a platform and we need to, we need to bring them into that forum where they can intersect with policymakers with their local council so that we can start to make a a strong case for them to get the support they need to initiate a business in this area. How can they get in touch with you? Oh, so they can contact us. If they go onto Twitter, just look for the Cannabis Industry Wales. It's quite a quiet Twitter account, but we do check the messages in there frequently. Or they can email us info at Cannabis Industry Wales or Cannabis Industries dot Wales. Twitter is probably the easiest way if they drop us a DM on there. We either involve them in a in an event or invite them to one or p- signpost them to to somebody in their local area. You know, we've got quite a, a nice little network uh, developed in Wales now. So n- from all four corners, we can probably signpost people to, to something going on in their locality. That's brilliant, Dylan. Thank you very much for not only giving us an overview and a background into this issue, but also guiding people to be able to change the situation if that's something that they want to do. I'm really grateful to you for this conversation and for the wider work that you're doing on this. And likewise. Thank you, Leanne. I'd like to say Diarch to those who have helped me with this project. Diarch to the team at Audacity, the open source audio editing software used to make this podcast. Diarch to Nick James for the artwork. Diarch to Clewen Stefan, the creator of the music. And finally, Diarch to all the podcast supporting subscribers. I'm grateful to all of you. I'm looking for support to continue to make these podcasts. You can become a supporting subscriber by checking out my Patreon page. You have been listening to the Leanne Wood Podcast.